There's times when, when the Lord's presence comes and it's, it's almost somber, like you can, you can feel it almost like, a, like when you can sense it's about to rain outside, suddenly the air will feel thick. And Lord, we, we just recognize that you're doing something here in your sanctuary tonight. Lord, that the air is seemingly thick with your presence, God. We just say, let it rain. Let it rain, Lord. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain.
thank you for the influence of the Holy Spirit in this room. We thank you for your influence, God. That you are actively influencing us in this room on earth tonight, God. We thank you that you're answering your prayer, Jesus, that heaven would come to earth. We thank you, God, that heaven and earth are one right now in a way that we don't fully understand, but that we are witnesses of tonight, God. We are eyewitnesses of something that we can't quite explain. We know, Lord, that you are not safe, but you're good. So even in the midst of we, what we cannot fully understand or explain, We choose to trust that you are good. And so we yield to you tonight. We yield to the influence of your spirit tonight that we cannot understand or explain. Lord, the faith inside of our hearts says, yes, God. We say, yes, Lord. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our minds. Have your way in our physical bodies, Lord. Let your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven tonight, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are alive. It's moments like this, God, that seem to make that even more clear. And so we invite your active influence to continue in this room Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your church tonight, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would come and clothe yourself with words and that you would speak them and you would help us make sense of what you're speaking tonight, of what you're doing tonight, Jesus. We're just gonna stay right here. I wanna encourage you, whatever posture you're in, to stay in that posture. I wanna encourage you that if you're feeling uncomfortable right now, to just whisper that to the Lord. Just say, Jesus, I'm a little uncomfortable. I need your comfort. I'm going to open scripture and I think hopefully give some language so that we can grab hold of what the Holy Spirit is making available to us in this room tonight. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus He's been raised from the dead. He's been speaking to his disciples. And Luke records for us that after he'd said these things, after he'd spent 40 days teaching with them on the kingdom of God, after he'd appeared to his disciples many times and giving them convincing proofs that he really was raised from the dead, they, they touched his wounds. They ate breakfast with him. He wasn't a ghost. He was alive in a new body 
alive. And they're, you, you get the, the sense that they're just not really knowing what to do with the reality of this resurrection thing. Imagine, you know, for a moment, what it would be like for someone that you loved dearly, who you watched be brutally murdered, appear to you alive in a body that you could touch, that you could hold, that you could speak to, that you could eat breakfast with. And yet he's doing all kinds of crazy things that don't make sense. And you get the sense that they're very perplexed. And if the resurrection wasn't enough, Luke records that Jesus takes them and uh, they go for a, about a half hour stroll up the Mount of Olives. And it says, and after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking at him and a cloud received Jesus out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come back in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, the Sabbath day's journey away. And when they'd entered the city, they went into an upper room where they were staying. That's, that is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. These were all with one mind continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. So they've spent like 40 days with a resurrected Jesus. They're already getting their minds blown. What do you do with a resurrected being? How do you make sense of that? How do you comprehend this? And then if that wasn't enough, Jesus takes them up the mountain and in their sight, his physical body lifts up from the ground. A cloud of God's glory swallows him and he goes to heaven. <laughs> if we were them, we would leave that mountaintop with a lot of questions. Yeah. Like what the heck is going on? All right, keep in mind this is the this is like the foundational doctrine of the church. This are the days that birthed the movement that was so powerful 2000 years later we're here being caught up in this same movement that these people were ground zero of. Yeah, this is like holy writ. This is like important stuff. And I just want you to imagine for a moment what you would be doing, what you would be thinking, what your next step would be if you had just witnessed the death of Jesus, then been with him for 40 days, trying to make sense of what it means that he's now alive and that he's human. And yet he's walking through walls and he's disappearing and appearing, but then you're touching him. We don't know what to do. We can only handle so much reality, yeah. And then if that's not enough, 40 days later, he takes him up the mountain and he ascends into a cloud of glory. And the angels say, why are you so confused? He's just going to heaven and he'll be back one day. <laughs> we would, what Luke starts showing us, why he's writing this is he's, he's telling us like the early church had a task. They were like, what the heck is this? How do we make sense of what just took place? How do we comprehend what is happening in our midst? And so what they did is they went to their Bible and they started searching it out to try to make sense of the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Yes. Isn't that what we should all do? <laughs> Go to the scripture and say, what's happening? And this is what Luke's telling us through this account. He's telling us that where the early church found language to comprehend what Jesus was doing, 
what was taking place was in two texts, Daniel 7 and the story of Elijah, which is 2 Kings. Have you ever wondered why it was better that Jesus said, it's better that I go away, which is speaking of this story. He said, it's better that I go away because if I go away, I'll send to you the Holy Spirit. Have you read this text? Yeah. It's better that I go away. It's better that I ascend and go to heaven for your sake, because if I go, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. We're about to make sense of why it's better. We're about to make sense of what this whole story is, of how the ministry of Jesus, even though he died, resurrected, and ascended, continued through the church. We're about to make sense of this. And Luke is showing us this is how the church made sense. This is how they came to understand why it was better that Jesus went away. They were reading the scriptures. They came to the book of Daniel, and it was in Daniel 7. They found a story that said, my goodness, that is what we witnessed on the Mount of Olives. And in the story, there's a throne in heaven. It's as if they're in a courtroom. It says the books of the court are opened. Daniel describes prophetically, he sees these evil demonic kingdoms. They're the kingdoms of the world and they're broken and they're doing all types of destruction. And then it says that the ancient of days was seated on the throne. This is the scene. There's there's the darkness and then there's God seated on the throne. And then Daniel starts describing, he sees, he says he sees someone like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. (laughs) They saw Jesus on the Mount of Olives. He got taken in a cloud. They said, oh my gosh, this is what happened. And it says that this one like a son of man comes and he stands before the throne of God. And it says that God gives to this one like a son of man, gives him power and dominion and a kingdom. (laughs) Why is it better that Jesus goes away? Because he's saying, I'm going to receive a kingdom. He receives a kingdom. Then about four verses later in Daniel's vision, it says, then the saints of the most high, the church, receive that kingdom. Right? Put yourself in the shoes of the early church. They're like trying to make sense of this. They read this story in Daniel. They're like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's it. He, he was going to take his seat at the throne of heaven to receive the kingdom. But then Luke's telling us something else, right? How did the saints, how were the saints to receive this kingdom? This story of Jesus ascending, it has one very direct parallel in the scripture, and it's the story of Elijah and Elisha. It's the only other time in scripture we get this story of someone ascending to heaven. It's Elijah the prophet. And if you've read the text, this is 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah is is preparing to be taken to heaven. And Elisha, his protege, is walking and following him closely. And the whole story is about how the spirit that was resting upon Elijah, God's spirit, was going to come to rest upon Elisha. So you have this story of Daniel 7 where the son of man's gonna come on the clouds. He's gonna receive the kingdom. And then they find this is how he's gonna give it to the saints. It's just like how Elijah gave it to Elisha. And all of a sudden, boom, light bulb. This is why Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. I'm going to send to you my spirit. I'm going to send you my spirit. Like put yourself, the early church, they're like on this treasure hunt. Luke's giving us insight. They are searching and grappling for revelation to make sense of indescribable phenomena, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And all of a sudden the Bible says, here it is. He is going to sit down on his throne. He's going to receive his kingdom. And then he's going to gift it to his church through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is why he says, wait, wait. Don't do anything. Don't go and try to change the world until you've received the Holy Spirit. 
until you have received the promise of the Father. Wait for it. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There's power in this room tonight. Right? This is, this is the truth. This is what the book of Acts is trying to speak. It's trying to prophesy to the church. It's trying to show that, look, the life of Jesus, the, like if his life had this continuity of his 33 years on earth, there was this huge discontinuity and that he died, he resurrected, he went to heaven. But then Luke's trying to show us, but Jesus's whole plan is that the continuation would take place in the life of the people that come to love the lamb of the people that give their hearts and are transformed by the Holy Spirit coming from heaven and then Luke gives us this story that continues where somehow us you and me ordinary people like Peter and James and John and 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 all these names Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James, the women that followed Jesus around, Mary his own mother, Jesus' brothers that rejected him while he was on earth. It's this whole list of ordinary people, but when you get filled with power from on high, you receive the kingdom, and you begin to go and do exploits in his name that the world can't describe, right? The church is the story of this people that though we live on earth and we're these ordinary people, we have this connection to heaven, this profound connection to heaven. Because the Holy Spirit, our head is in heaven, it's Jesus. We're on earth and the whole plan is that heaven and earth will come together and it's the Holy Spirit's job to author this great work, (laughs) to raise up this people called the church that would be filled with the Spirit so that we could partner with, walk with God and see his redemption narrative of all things being made new come together. It's ordinary lives. That's his plan. You and me who wait upon the Lord and get filled with power. But but Luke, he shows us what their interpretation of waiting upon the Lord was. Here it is. They're trying to make sense. They're trying to to, to wait. They're trying to position themselves to to tap in to this heavenly realm, right? Jesus just went to heaven. The first thing they do is they return. They get in a room like this and they start devoting themselves to prayer. Why? Why? Because prayer is our access to heaven. They start getting gripped (laughs) with heaven. And Luke is so intentional in the way he writes. He's, He's a doctor. My father is a doctor. He's a surgeon. Doctors are master thinkers of cause and effect. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Diagnosis, prognosis. Cause and effect. Luke, being a physician, he's trying to to essentially make a neon sign to show us the cause and the effect of a people that become possessed by the Spirit of God. You might not like that word possessed, but if you think about it, that just means you're a possession. (laughs) I want to be His possession. I am His. He purchased me with His blood. He, He washed me new with His shed blood so that I could become a possession of perfect love. (laughs) Luke's trying to paint a neon banner. Here's the cause and the effect. You want to wait upon the Lord. You want to be a person who receives the power of the Spirit. You have to pray. Luke, when he talks about Jesus' own experience of being filled with the Spirit, he's the only gospel author that makes it very clear. He says Jesus was in... He's in the river with John praying as the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Luke is the only gospel author when he gives Jesus' instruction on prayer. This is in Luke chapter 10. The other authors, they just say, ask your father for good gifts and he'll give you good things. Luke is very intentional. He says, when you're praying, he's a good father. Ask him for the gift of the Holy Spirit and it will be given to you. 
And then he records here yet again this third insight that when the church herself is to be born of the Spirit, is to, to receive this outpouring of grace, what were they doing? They're praying. They're praying. They were a people of prayer because their lives were getting caught up with the heavenly one. Through prayer, they could stay connected with that one that just ascended on the clouds of heaven. And so when you see this church, the church, this beautiful relationship with, with the reality of heaven, it's not this mystical thing, but you see that the church had this vital connection with the very throne of heaven through the Holy Spirit. When Stephen is martyred, the scripture tells us exactly what was taking place in the throne room of God. It said that as Stephen was being martyred, Jesus stood up from the throne. Jesus gave us the keys of the kingdom. He says, that which is loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. That which is bound in heaven will be bound on earth. We're, there's this vital connection between earth and heaven. Jesus seated on the throne, the son of man next to the ancient of days and the church walking on the earth. That connection, that bond is the Holy Spirit. You and I were made to live lives that are in perfect concert with heaven. If you think of Jesus as the head and we're his body, the head is in heaven. He's like the operating room, but my mind tells my leg to move. My head tells my lift, my finger, point, to breathe, to smile. Right? My, my, my head leads my body. We are the body of Christ on earth. And when we're in a vital bond with the Holy Spirit, this is so good. What the head is doing in heaven will be expressed on earth through his body. <laughs> this is our inheritance. This is our portion. It's the Holy Spirit. So what do I think is taking place in this room? Is it, it's like heaven and earth are intermingling here. <laughs> who, who is sensing that? Who sense the presence of something you can't explain? That there is something here that's more powerful than perhaps what our five senses can quite pick up. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in our community that is precipitating a greater outpouring of His presence in our lives. I have faith in that, that it's like the air is being filling with condensation. As we're singing a song, Let It Rain, that it's like the Lord is discipling us. He's discipling us, but I just, this is, this is the unction. This is the impression. This is the conviction that I'm sensing from the Holy Spirit tonight is that he's inviting us to become a people of prayer. He, he, he's, he's, it's, it's like he's stirring a spirit of prayer in our hearts, in our lives, that we'd be a people that would become gripped with the reality that heaven is not far away. It's, it's here. It's close. You know, the, the, the scriptures reveal to us that, that heaven's not a place we're going to go to. It's simply God's space. Heaven is God's space. Earth is our space. And the whole plan of redemption is that God created heaven and earth as the two halves of his creation that were made for each other. It's like heaven and earth are similar to the picture of a bride and a bridegroom. They're made for each other. Heaven and earth are made for each other. And it's not halves like two halves of an orange. It's, it's, it's in a more mysterious way, but in a, they're interlocking realities. Heaven is a realm that Jesus went to in his physical body. That's where he is right now, but he's coming back one day. And the cry of the church is, we want you now. We want you now. We want you now. We want you now. We want to be, we want to be people that live on earth, but they're heavenly minded. We want to be people that are so gripped with the life of heaven that we make it known on the earth that it literally overflows. 
into everything that we do and everything that we touch, that there's power, power. He received a power. This Daniel 7, he's receives power. And it's very clear he's given power over all the fallen kingdoms of man. He's saying, I give that power to those who will wait for it. A.W. Tozer says that God waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. Sometimes I think we almost gauge our hunger for God, our thirst for God. It's like we gauge it by our emotional state. Like, do I feel hungry for him? Do I feel like I desire him right now? And sometimes feelings are true indicators in our lives, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes I don't feel like changing Naomi's diapers, but it doesn't change the state of my truest, most authentic state towards her. But if we want a more objective indicator of if we are truly hungry for God, if we truly want Him, we could just ask ourselves the question, what do we wait for Him? Do you wait for Him? I remember years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I was at at, uh, Six Flags, Magic Mountain. And I waited in line for three hours for a roller coaster. And as I was waiting in that line, I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of whisper to me. He said, people will wait hours to get on a roller coaster. He said, but very few will wait 15 minutes. For me. Do we wait for the Lord? I'm not trying to produce any sense of shame. Shame does nothing in our lives. But I want to create a space for conviction. Conviction has a way of sobering us to the reality. And this is the reality of the gospel of the kingdom is that we either believe this is true or or it's not. And if we believe that it is true, it means that the very essence of our existence is tied up in the one man, Jesus, who sits on the throne of eternity, who is longing to give his very spirit, like Elijah to Elijah, who is longing to give of himself to his church, to be an empowered people. Or he's not. And what I sense, what I feel an invitation tonight is I want to invite you to take an honest look at your life. And really, if you believe the message of Jesus, if you really believe it, if you have faith in it, if you, if you trust that the words of Jesus are true, your life will be marked by prayer. Like we can find all this wiggle room around, but if you really believe that all this this crazy resurrection story is real. Our lives will be cramped. We'll be a people of prayer. And if we will wait on the Lord, the Lord is waiting for us to wait on Him. And if we will wait on Him, we'll renew our strength. We'll mount like wings, like eagles. We will do exploits in His name because He will be faithful to, to send the promise of the Father. Sometimes we, we act like God's, we're waiting on God and God's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to want Him. He's waiting on us to, to actually say, I believe, I'm a believer. I believe you rose from the dead, that you're seated on a throne and I'm going to give myself to seek you. I'm going to seek you and search for you with all of my heart. Because I believe that I will you I will find you. I will find you. You will be found by me, God. 
And if you just boil it down, like there's the litmus test. Do we believe? Do we really believe? Because the truth is this life is empty and it doesn't mean anything unless we have him. I just want to invite you, church, to give Jesus a shot. To just take him at his naked word and say, okay. I don't know what it looks like. You know, it was 10 days of devoted prayer that turned the world upside down. Sometimes I wonder what the greatest miracle of Pentecost was. Was it that the Holy Spirit came from heaven? Or was it that these people decided to put their faith in what Jesus said and give 10 full days just waiting on him? So I invite you, I exhort you, I plead with you. Beloved of God, take him at his word. I want to provoke you to put demand upon the staff of this church to create more spaces for us to wait. I wanna urge you to, to exercise such hunger that we literally have to form new gathering spaces to just come together and give an hour to wait on the Lord. We have spaces, we, we have spaces. We, we have these Monday night, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, but I just, I just feel it's like the heart of God is wanting to birth something here and it's in us and it will be birthed in prayer. When the spirit of prayer hits a heart, something changes, something changes. So many of us have, we've been discipled. We were raised in religious context and I want you to hear my heart. I love the church. I love her in all her forms. I think she's glorious in all her forms, but there's some places where the body gets a little disconnected from the head and things dry up. And so many of us, we, we've been discipled in context with no vision for the beauty of prayer. No vision for the pleasure of prayer. And it's like we've been discipled into this where even you hearing prayer sounds like, Ugh. and I just, I just want to invite you to give yourself to a journey of repentance and that you can learn a new way where you actually can get touched by the pleasure of God. That prayer is one of the most beautiful gifts ever given to humanity. And when the spirit of prayer hits your heart, you become literally filled with pleasure. It's like, when can I do it again? That's what the scriptures prophesy to us. That's what they reveal. There's a reason that the disciples, there's one question we see him asking Jesus. First question. It wasn't, how do you do miracles? It wasn't, how do you divide all that bread, multiply it? It wasn't, how did you make that coin appear in the fish's mouth? It wasn't, it wasn't anything. It was just, teach us how to pray. Will you teach us that? Because whatever you've got going on, Jesus, we want that. We want that. So I'm just gonna open this space. I, I, I just have this reverberating in my heart. The words of Jesus, I believe it's John 6, where he says, come to me, all who are thirsty, and drink. I just, I want to give you space to come before Jesus, to humble yourself, to say, teach me how to pray. And I just, I, I sense that there's conviction. Here's the deal. I, I've, I am guilty in the past. I, I really am. I'm guilty of trying to conjure up a spirit of prayer in this house because it's transformed everything about my life. And so I've been guilty in my own zeal of trying to artificially stir up in this house a true hunger and thirst for prayer. My intentions have been good, but I've done it in my own, my own energy. And here's, I'm not trying to do that tonight. I'm really not, I've been, I've been liberated from that for years. But I sense that this is the very heart of Jesus speaking tonight. 
saying, I want to pour out the rain, not just in Riverhouse, in this valley, in our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our marriages. The amount of brokenness, depression, anxiety, suicide, disease, just dis... It's like Jesus saying, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for my people to wait. He's on the edge of his seat. And I just, I just want to invite you that if the Holy Spirit is inviting you, if the Holy Spirit is perhaps stirring inside of you to just respond to him. Now, just respond. Just respond and just humble yourself. Just humble yourself before the Lord. Whatever that looks like, it usually means going low. It usually means on your knees, on your face. You can make your seat an altar. You can make this an altar. It's not about for me. I don't need you to do anything for me tonight. But I just, if, you, if, you, if, if something is happening between your heart and the heart of God, I just, I have a sense that the, it's like God is wanting to, to breathe something, to, to blow something, to awaken something, to quicken something, to, to birth something, to, to, to grip you with something, to grip you with the Holy Spirit, to grip us with a spirit of prayer. I just say, God, would you grip us tonight? Holy Spirit, you are here. We just say, do it. We do it, do it. Grip us, hit us with the spirit of prayer. Grip us with simple faith in a simple gospel that our Lord and Savior died and three days later rose from the dead as a resurrected man that says all things will be made new. The kingdom of God is here and it's coming and then ascended to heaven and you asked us to wait. You asked us to wait. God, I ask that you will make us a people of waiting. Make us a waiting people. Make us a waiting people. Make us a waiting people. I have a sense this may go for a while. This this may go for a while tonight. And 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 I just want to ask that if, when you feel released, some of you, some of you are going to really feel a conviction to stay and to just give yourself. And if you're, if that's you, I want you to just begin worshiping the Lord. Just, just begin worshiping, telling him, I want you to pray, you know, like from desire. David said, you're, you're the, you're the one thing, you're the desire of my heart. And I just, I just want you to just pray. I want you to tell Jesus what you want tonight. Tell him what's happening inside of your heart. Try to put your internal reality into external words. We're just going to wait on the Lord together. And then then if you feel a release or if you just are really, really uncomfortable right now and and you want to go, I just want to bless you as you go that you are free to go. But I want you to wait. I want you to wait. Wait. Some of you are gonna you're gonna wait. You're, some of you are literally you're actually hungry right now physically. But you just need to wait. I want you to wait. And, and if you are gonna go, just try to go in a real uh, honoring way to everything else that's happening in this room. But I want I want us to just wait together. We're gonna wait on the Lord, and we're gonna wait just for the spirit of prayer. Just say, God, have your way, 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 have your way. God, give us a spirit of prayer. Give us a spirit of prayer. I ask God that you will pour out a conviction that is unlike anything we've known, a conviction that actually changes us on the inside, a conviction that breaks through uh, patterns or residue or, or, or things, God, that have been built up over time that have kind of formed us away from the heart of prayer. God, I ask that there be such a dispensation of of heaven's of, of, of heaven's conviction, of the convictor, of the Holy Spirit. God, that it would change us, that it would it would break things off, it would 
break things off. It would break off old residue. It would give the power to actually be reformed. I just thank you, Lord, for true hunger and thirst, that you will awaken true hunger and thirst tonight, hunger and thirst for the reality of heaven. We just say, Jesus, this is your house. We're your people. God, precipitate, precipitate the move of the Spirit in this house through an outpouring of the Spirit of prayer, God. I want you to pray out loud. Pray out loud. Let your voices be heard. Just cry out to heaven. Think of blind Barnabas.